for better or worse, over the course of my lifetime, when I've decided that I want something, the question I ask myself is not, can I do this? It's how can I do this? And those are two different approaches. And that's one of those things that it took me a little while in life to realize, oh, that's how I function. My brain does this, but not everybody's does. And so I'm, I'm glad that's my default setting, right? Is, is not, can I do this? It's how can I do this? Um, so I'm automatically looking for ways. It's, can I find a way? Can I make a way? One of the two, it's gonna be one of the two. podcast designed to help you change your mindset and your life. It is time for something new. Join host Dr. Shante Cofield, also known as the Movement Maestro, on a journey to see the bigger picture. Open your eyes. Find your passion and discover how movement unites us all. Let's get it popping. This is Maestro on the Mic. I'm the Maestro and you're about to get maestro Three, two, one. Hello, friends, Maestro here, and welcome back to another episode of my favorite podcast. Today, we're doing something for the very first time. So if you listen to the podcast, you know that every now and again, I throw out there that I have no idea who listens. I am very grateful for each and every single one of you, but I don't know who listens. You know, podcasting can be this kind of weird space where you're just talking to the screen. I see you on social media and I'm grateful for all of the feedback and the tags and the posts and things like that, but I don't necessarily 100% know who listens. And so after saying this, I guess, you know, however many times someone reached out and sent me an email and was like, Hey, maestro, I listen. And here is a little bit about me. And honestly, she got me with the Jeep. There was some snow in the picture, though, so I was, like, mildly offended. But then also the top of the Jeep was off, and I was like, I'm also confused. What's happening here? So we went back and forth a little bit, and I was like, I got to bring you on the podcast. Her story, I think, will resonate with you. For those of you that maybe make decisions and other people are like, well, why would you do that? Uh, for those of you that are looking for perhaps some inspiration as you know about next steps, for those of you that are starting to see the value of asking, I think that her story is going to resonate with you. And I'm stoked because I'm going to be learning a lot of that story with you. So without further ado, welcome to the show, fellow listener and my new good friend, Amanda Schultz. Welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Dude. This is like, I am so good. So you folks listening, Amanda didn't know that she's actually the first person that I've had on the podcast in this capacity. And I was like, yep, it's you, so don't mess it up, okay? But uh, she's got a, a super background in things that are very related to this. So I, I knew she was going to crush it. But Amanda, I can I just be a bad host and, and pass the mic over to you and perhaps just say, can you give us a little bit of background? And start from the very beginning. Okay, three, two, one, go. 
a little bit of background on what? <laughs> on you. Oh, Lily started at the beginning. <laughs> See, this is this is the journalist in me. There right? it like, is. Automatically off the bat, I'm asking you a question to clarify your question, right? Um, so <laughs> I do. I tell people who don't know me, I'm like, I ask a lot of questions. It's, it's really for a good reason, though. Um, oh, okay. So a little bit about me. So I grew up in South Florida. I went to the University of Miami, where I studied broadcast journalism and political science. I thought I was going to be a journalist. And actually, for a little while, I was. Um, I worked in newspapers and TV, and we can talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. But after working in it, I decided it really wasn't for me, which was crazy because I had spent years and frankly, a ton of money studying this. And I had to figure out what was next. And I didn't really know the answer. So that set me down a path of kind of a lot of things, frankly. Mm, before we go, I'm thinking like before we go into that, let's just say right where you are, why journalism? Why? Why? Where'd that come from? Oh, gosh. I don't even know when I first started wanting to do that. I literally remember being a kid and sitting on the floor in the living room watching the TV. And this is so dorky. Um, I knew the whole intro to 2020. So like, <laughs> I'm Hugh Downs and I'm Barbara Walters around the world and into your home. You know, mm -hmm. I definitely knew that as a kid. Um, I was super curious about things. And so in middle school is really when I decided like, oh, this TV thing is interesting. I had kind of a love for photography for a little while. As a kid, I thought I was going to be a National Geographic photographer. I used to line up my stuffed animals on my bed and take pictures of them. So, um, oh my God, I had the best camera that used to put this little imprint of Michelangelo, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle in the yes. corner of all the hard copy photos. What? So... You know, I think it was just a combination of those things. And in middle school, I really found that I loved TV. I loved mm -hmm. the fact that it was a visual medium combined with storytelling. And that was something that was really cool to me. I could sort of use this love that I had for reading and writing and use it to tell people's stories. And I also got to go out and play with video cameras, which of course Pretty was dope. the coolest thing ever. Yeah. So I found out that I loved it. I ended up going to a high school, which was my local high school, but that also had a phenomenal TV production program, had an amazing teacher who frankly was an impact, um, still is an impact on me to this day, Doc Sandy Malillo, what's up? Um, and that really was what made me think, gosh, I want to do this. It's a way I can go out and be curious and explore. It's a way that I can help create good in the world, right? Journalism is a public service job at the end of the day. And so those were all things that I was really interested in and passionate about. It opened up a ton of doors for me. I had some really incredible opportunities as a result of that. Um, got to meet interesting people. Got to go to a space shuttle launch at Kennedy Space oh. Center as a high schooler. Um, just tons and tons of stuff. So I think it was probably a combination of some encouragement and some great teaching and opportunities and also some just natural, the way that I'm built, yeah. you know, that, that combined into that. I love that, that last part, that acceptance of like, part of it is this is how I am. Like, yes. You also said partially because of some encouragement, all of this curiosity, all these like pictures and stuff you're taking. Was this always supported? 
I found people who supported me. Um, and I think, yeah. you know, I was certainly never discouraged by my parents. They mm -hmm. sent me to mm -hmm. a school that wasn't my home school. You know, we have magnet schools at that point in mm -hmm. Florida. So they sent me to a different school to go explore wow. that. They wow. supported me going on these crazy trips and, you know, going down to Miami to do interviews. But I also had teachers who were willing to say to me, hey, you're really good at this. Like you, you have some talent here and don't discount that. Explore that, lean into that. And gave me the space and challenged me to grow those things, right? Not just settle for, yeah, you're, you're good at this. Um, okay, you're good at this. What are you going to do with that? Where are you going to go from here? How are you going to keep building on that? What can you do? So I'm grateful for those people for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. What does, what does talent look like in, in, you're saying like they looked at you and they're like, you have talent here. This looks good. And this is like literally my own personal question. What is, what did that look like then? In terms of doing sort of the journalism work in high school and college? Yeah. Like I'm literally yeah. like, I'm like, what is that when, like, what did they see? What does it mean to be talented at this was like the pictures, like the quality of the questions. What does that look like? Well, yes, you have to be good at things like framing images, right? Because composition is a thing. There are some pictures that folks will naturally look at and be interested in. And there are some that you're just like, eh, that's not a great photo. Um, but a lot of it is being a good writer. And I loved reading for, I mean, for as long as I remember, like I was the kid who could open a book in the middle of the cafeteria in elementary school and just get sucked into it. Um, so I did a ton of reading and I think a lot of that is what made me a good writer. So the fact that you're a strong writer is always going to contribute to you being successful in any kind of environment. I also had a certain comfort level with public speaking. You know, mm. I, I, we had a church family. And so we were at church every single mm. Sunday morning. Um, and one of the ways that we participated is I would go up and do the readings on some Sundays in front of the whole church. And I'm talking when I was in, you know, wow. middle school and high school. So I had a certain comfort level with being on camera, being in front mm. of crowds, being able to, you know, go stand up on a stage with a microphone in my hand. And even if I was totally shaking on the inside, on the outside, I could be calm. I could project that calm presence. And so those were some of the things that when people said, hey, you're pretty, you're pretty good yeah. at this. Um, those are some of the things that they were talking about. I love that. Was it easy for you? Or I should say, how was it for you? Uh, having people say you were good at something was that that I feel like in the society we live in now, some people are told to shrink. It's hard to accept compliments. Was that weird for you, or you're just like, yes, thank you, I am. Oh, this is a tough question for me. So this is an issue that I've actually been doing a lot of work around recently. Mm -hmm. um, I think that for me, it was yes, I'm good at this, um, and what do I do with this? Yeah. Right. Because just being good at something wasn't quite enough. Um, and honestly, I never really felt like that was a super special thing. Um, yeah. You know, I'm also grateful that people around me didn't totally gas me up and have my ego out of control. Um, I, I felt like I was always pretty humble and thought, well, this is just me, right? Like, yeah. this is just who I am. Um, but I think for the most part, what that did for me was motivate me to want to do more, to figure yeah. out, okay, how can I use this, right? Yes. Like, if this is a thing that I'm good at, how can I use this in the yes. world? Uh, that's so good. And 
I was just at a, a summit this past weekend, and it was part of the discussion was about this. And uh, for some people, when and I experienced this when things when something comes easily, easily, you can either kind of lean into it and like you did and say, "What next?" But I think there's also a side where people are like, "Well, that means it's not the right thing. It's it's coming too easily." For me, like I, I'm supposed to work harder. I think as a society, we kind of champion the struggle, and we're like, "Oh well, it, I'm not special because of this. Like, I need to be doing something else." So I love that, and you're working on this now as well. But that you leaned into that. Well, what can I do next with this? That's awesome. Yes, That's awesome. it can be really easy to discount the things that you're good yes. at because you're just used to them, right? Yes. Like you don't understand how impressive it is to other people that you do what you do because it's just you. And Nailed so it. it's so helpful to be able to get outside yourself for a minute and go, holy shit, I really am good at this. Yeah. Now what do I do? Yes. So I, I kind of want to like use that as a segue to be like, and now what did you do? But I'm actually going to be a bad host again because I want to circle back. You said something that stood out to me. Journalism is a public service job. Absolutely. Can you, can you elaborate on that? Because I was like, wait, what? So I work in government right now. I work in local government, which is very clearly what people think of as a public service job, right? Journalism is also a public service job. People who are journalists are in that profession for the most part, right? We'll make a few exceptions just like any other profession. But for the most part, people who are in journalism are there because they want to make the world a better place. They want to hold people and systems accountable and make sure that they are doing the things that they say they are there to do and doing the things that they're supposed to do, right? I'm not talking about your celebrity gossip kind of deal. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. I'm talking about what people today would call mainstream media, right? Your big outlets, your local newspaper. These are not folks who are there because they want to be a celebrity in their own right. These are people who want uh -huh. to tell the stories of their communities. They are out there trying to build a better city the same way that folks in government are, the same way that folks in education, right? The folks who are in classrooms, the teachers, the principals, those folks are. They're there for the same reasons. They just do it from a different angle. Fascinating. That is fascinating. So did you then go on and do that? Take me further in your, forward, excuse me, in your story. So I did. Um, when I was in high school, actually, I got an internship at the South Florida Sun Sentinel, which is the local paper where I grew up in Fort Lauderdale in Broward County. And it was a summer internship. It was fabulous. At the end of it, they said, hey, we really love you. We'd like to be able to keep you on. Can you work part time? Yeah. It's 20 hours a week. And I said, yep, I can do that. Mm -hmm. So my senior year of high school, I spent every Saturday and Sunday working 10 hour days oh my God. at the Sun Sentinel. <laughs> so I would drive downtown to downtown Fort Lauderdale and I would park in the almost empty parking garage. Um, and I worked in the editorial research department. So I would do my 20 hours on the weekend and I'm super grateful that they were flexible with me and let me do that because it was an incredible experience for me. And they certainly didn't have to be that accommodating mm -hmm. in terms of scheduling, um, but they were. So that was my experience at a local paper. I went to college at the University of Miami. Like I said, I, I had two majors. I studied broadcast journalism 
And then it was a requirement at the time that you have a second major in the College of Arts and Sciences, just in case that comm school major didn't work out, which annoyed me at the time. But I said, okay, fine, I'll do political science, thinking, okay, maybe this will help me with election coverage, right? Having no idea where I would land. Um, Was at the University of Miami, loved it. I was a resident assistant for a year because it's a private school and it's expensive. And we had to pay those bills. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was a resident assistant for a little while. And while I was there, one of my professors who taught a news writing class was also one of the news directors at the local, at one of the local TV news stations. And at the end of the class, he said, hey, you're a really good writer. Do you want to come work for me part-time? And I said, yep, I absolutely do. So while I was in college, I went and worked. I was an associate producer at WPLG, which is the ABC station in Miami. It's a great station. Um, Had an incredible experience there. Really appreciate what a wonderful learning experience it was and what an orientation to the TV news business it really was for me. So I worked there while I was in college and I did that for a while. I was on the morning shift. So what that really means is the very morning, um, I worked 1 a.m. to 9 a.m. Oh my God. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, think about it. If you turn on the news at 5 a.m., there's a 5 a.m. and a 6 a.m. show. Oh my God. And somebody had to put that show together before it went on air. So I I would get up and, you know, I was living on Calle Ocho, which is 8th Street in Miami at the time. Yeah, and I would... Stop. I would stop at the little Cuban pizza place next to my apartment building and get my cafe con leche. Um, and I would drive into the station and I would work 1 a.m. to 9 a.m. And it was fabulous. It was a fabulous experience. Um, you know, I, I was probably only a third awake for some family events while I was yeah, doing that. <laughs> but it was it was incredible. Um, and I did that for a little while. And I came to a really tough decision point because what I realized was this thing that I loved the idea of, I did not love the practice of. I have a tremendous amount of respect for the people who I worked with there and for for people who are in journalism in general. However, I didn't love the choices that we were making about what to cover. Okay. I struggled with feeling like, gosh, I know we have to do this, but it just doesn't feel like what we all really want to be covering, right? Like if somebody's houseboat burns down in their backyard, do we really need to send a live truck? Is that really a big story or is it just somebody's insurance claim? Um, I had to go to house fires and talk to people whose house had just burned down. Um, I remember going on stories of, you know, folks who'd had a baby and abandoned it in the bushes next to a business. Yeah. This, this is local news, Shantae. This is local news. Um, and again, this is, this is no knock on that particular station. This is a, these are coverage decisions that local news stations will make in their own communities. Um, but I would go home every night, well, every morning, (laughs) Um, feeling a little sick to my stomach and just going, oh, I don't love this the way that I think I should love this. And it was a decision point because I could have said, you know what, I'm going to tough it out. 
and mm-hmm. I'm going to do this and I'll move up the ladder a little bit and maybe we'll make some you know, changes. Maybe we'll do this, we'll do that. Or I could change things up entirely and say, well, I'll stick it out for now and I'll move to New York or Atlanta and see if I can go get a job working for one of the big networks and do some national news stuff um, or some cable news. And I didn't want to do that. So I had to decide, hey, this thing that you've spent half of middle school and all of high school and all of college pursuing that you're going to walk away with a degree in. Yes. Are you going to keep doing this? Or are you going to change course and say, all right, not this, what else might it be? Yes. And that's what I did. And I had no idea what I was going to do. Um, but I knew it wasn't that. And I had to make the choice to stop pursuing that, to let go of that and say, okay, let's pivot. What else can we turn this into? What do I love? What do I enjoy? And what else can I do in the pursuit of those things? No one around you was like, pump the brakes, Amanda. Pump them, pump them. Was there a pushback? Not that I remember. I <laughs> and I maybe it. maybe that's just me blocking some of that exactly. out. Um, <laughs> maybe it is. But I think, you know, I think part of the beauty of that is that I really tried it. It wasn't that I said, oh, I don't think I'm going to like it. Totally. It's, totally. I did it and I don't. Yep. So I knew. Absolutely. Absolutely. Can, can we back up just one second? I have three things written down and I'm like, number one, this is, this is kind of like my last question just for me personally and understanding with news writing. Cause I have a question about that. So you go and are you actually reporting? Are you in, are you on camera or are you getting all the information, writing it? And then how is it presented? What's the logistics here? Sure. So So news writing for me, when I was an associate producer, meant that I would write the anchor copy. So you have a whole bunch of different folks involved in putting on a show. You've got the reporters who are out in the field. You've got producers back at the station. You've got anchors who sit at the desk and, you know, read the news to the camera. I'm Ron Burgundy. I'm Ron Burgundy. Yes. Um, so, So the anchors themselves do not always write that copy. Uh, and it's called copy, right? It's the same thing yeah. that you would see when you totally. when you talk about it in your context. It's copywriting, right? So what we do is take the stories that come in. You know, you'll take information from the Associated Press. Everybody gets the AP newsfeed. Um, or you'll take a story that maybe ran the night before and you'll shorten it down into an updated version and write that for folks to talk about. So yes, I would literally be writing what the anchors were reading off of the teleprompter for the morning news show. Wow. And now you mentioned that the person who got you, who asked for you, the per, the, the man who said, would you come work for me? He was the professor of a news writing class that you took? He was, not- yeah. So he was teaching a news writing class at the University of Miami. And of course, I made sure I signed up for that class because, hello, why would you not go take a class from someone who's doing the damn thing? Um, So I signed up for that and really enjoyed it. We wrote a ton in that course. And really, that's how he became familiar with my work. Again, super grateful to have people who 
not only saw potential in me, but who were willing to speak it to me because that can be so key for people. So the fact that he said, Hey, you're good at this. I'm willing to hire you and pay you to do this. Um, was, was pretty incredible. I think it's equally remarkable that you were willing to accept it. I mean, no, we we talked spoke about it, spoke about it before that you you know heard it, internalized it, and say and said, okay, cool, I'm going to take this and say what's next. But I think there's also people that really struggle to be they they appreciate that people see the greatness in them, but I, I know that it can be tough for them to to move forward with it. Like there's a lot of a lot of stuff. So I think it's equally uh, remarkable that you took action from that with, with the news writing class, Amanda. Did you, I'm like fascinated by this. Did you ever disagree with what was taught? Like, I don't know how the news is written, but were you ever like, oh, that's like, they're teaching us how to sensationalize something. I don't know what was taught, but like, did you ever have a moment like that? No, none that I remember. Everybody was super professional. There there was never anything about um, sensationalizing things or you know, trying to generate, for lack of a better term, clickbait or anything like that. It was quite the opposite. Like I said, these are the people who are professionals in this industry. Mm -hmm. Take it very seriously. Mm -hmm. The integrity of that job and the responsibility that comes with it is something that they do not take lightly. You, when, when you're a journalist, you are literally shaping how people see and interpret the world. And so I was always, it was always impressed upon me what a responsibility that was and how important it was for us to get it right. Yeah, this is, this is an unexpected, um, I don't know, revelation uh, in hearing this that I totally, when I, you know, you listening, when I bring people onto the podcast, I have a rough idea of a story that I want to get out there and things that I think will come up and we'll be able to highlight. But it's really cool to hear this right here, Amanda, just like in the time that we live right now where media gets a really bad rap and like, you know, I don't know what goes on behind the scenes, but it's really nice to hear from someone who was in it and hear that side, everything you just said, that's actually really, that's really cool. Like, huh. Good, I'm glad. Well, if I can go back to something that you said too, you were talking about, being willing to do something with it when somebody says you're good at this. Yeah. And so for me, I was always pursuing something. It wasn't just, um, oh, you're good at this, go do it. I knew, I had decided that what I wanted to do was be in broadcast journalism. And for better or worse, over the course of my lifetime, when I've decided that I want something, the question I ask myself is not, can I do this? It's how can I do this? And those are two different approaches. And that's one of those things that it took me a little while in life to realize, oh, that's how I function. My brain does this, but not everybody's does. And so I'm I'm glad that's my default setting, right? Is is not can I do this? It's how can I do this? this? Um, So I'm automatically looking for ways. It's can I find a way? Can I make a way? One of the two. It's going to be one of the two. I'm sitting here cross. So I have a whiteboard with me and I write the things out and I'm crossing off because I have, I have big letters here. Have you always been so strategic? Yes. <laughs> yes. But it yeah. took me a long time to recognize that in myself and to embrace that and to embrace sure. that. 
So we can move forward now. You're moving forward with, we've had the, in the story, you've had the experience. Uh, we see a little bit of your background and how you've been, what you brought to the table. You've accepted some of these things about yourself and you're like, all right, this is, I know what I went to school for. I know what I wanted to do. I've done it, but now this isn't a hundred percent what I thought it would be. I have a decision to be made. What happened? Uh, well, what happened was I quit and I still had to pay some bills. Um, <laughs> so I worked at the Publix bakery for a little while. Publix, for those of you Dude, who have not had the pleasure. Oh my gosh. Every, it's amazing. Everything's amazing. Especially in South Florida. The hot case is full of delicious Cuban baked goods. Um, so yeah, I mean, I had a college degree, freshly graduated and was working at the grocery store bakery. Um, and just knew I had to do it to pay the bills. Yeah. And I was like, I'm cool with this. Like, it, it's not the plan that I'm going to get comfortable with, but I'm going to do it while I'm figuring things yeah. out. And that was a great exercise in customer experience, quite frankly. You know, you're interacting with a ton of people. Um, somebody's super pissed that you slice their bread too thin and you got to find a way to make them happy and deal with it, right? Like, it's these very practical things. So I got really good at customer service. Um, and luckily I was already good at interacting with strangers because mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. what journalism is. You got to go up and get strangers to tell you things. So that was a great exercise in, in customer service. Um, I helped manage a condo on the beach in South Florida for a little while. How? So... How do you get this job? <laughs> um, a friend of mine from college lived in the building and their HOA was looking for someone to help. And I said, great, it's across the street from where I live. I'll, yep, sign me up. Great, I'll go do that. Um, oh my God, I, I made $30,000 a year. I think they bumped me up to like 35 after, you know, six months or something. Um, and that was an adventure in and of itself. I mean, I was learning systems that I had no idea about. I did not have a finance background and I was learning from their accountant, you know, how all of these things ran. Um, I mean, we... how did you get this position with, like, I can kind of understand the bakery. I'm once actually wondering unless they were like, you're too qualified for this. Like, what are you doing? And they didn't care. But with this, if you're like, I have, did you have some background that made sense for them to be like, you should be part of this? How did that happen? Uh, <laughs> They were looking for someone. I applied, <laughs> I interviewed, and they thought I'd be great because, frankly, uh -huh. a large part of that job was also customer service. Uh -huh. You're dealing with residents. Mm -hmm. um, I can confirm every good and bad stereotype about what it's like to work with HOAs. <laughs> um, you're working with residents who are coming to you with problems, and it's your job to get to the heart of what the problem is and help come up with a way to tackle it. So asking really good questions, knowing how to talk to people, helping people feel heard, right? And then using some of that strategy brain to say, okay, here's what's going on. Let's come up with some ways that we might be able to tackle this. Man, this is, this is, I love this. I love this. So what happened next? You were working, were you working at both places at the same time? You had the bakery and the HOA gig? 
No, they they were separate. Um, I had the bakery first, and then when I got the HOA gig, I was like, great, this is full-time. I'm going to do this next, and who knows what's after this, but this is the next step. Yeah. So I did that for a little while. Um, again, learned a ton. Sometimes I feel like that could have been a, a sitcom in and of itself. Um, again, though, grateful for the people who gave me that opportunity and and were willing to you know, bring me in. Um, so I had that job and I was simultaneously talking to people who I knew and trusted and saying, Hey, I don't know what's next, but I got to figure it out. I got to figure out what else I can try that might be a good fit for the things that I love and the things that I'm good at. And that high school teacher that I mentioned, Sandy Mm -hmm. Malolo called me up and said, Hey, what do you think about teaching? I'm at a different school. The TV production program here is amazing. They have a whole studio and they're looking for somebody to run it. I didn't have a teacher's license, um, but I worked on getting one. I worked on getting my temporary teacher's license in Florida. So I talked through it with her. I went to the district's hiring event, spoke to the people I need to spoke to, handled all my paperwork, got everything in with the state. And I was a public high school teacher. I taught English and TV production at Pompano Beach High School. What? And I said, okay, I can be doing some of the things that I love, right? So you still have this angle of TV and journalism, but instead of me being the one out there doing it, it's me helping develop the skills and the passions in high school kids who are interested in this. It was the hardest and the most rewarding job I've ever had in my life. How long did you do that? I did it for a year um, and I would have done it for longer, but my husband at the time um, and I decided to move out to Denver, but otherwise I probably would have stayed. Just so I'm going to write this down and suddenly Denver's in the, the picture there. This is fascinating to me. And I love that you have throughout your you know, your signature quote here, this is not, not, can I do it? How can I do it? You say yes, and you figure it out. And where was society during all of this? Like, I just feel like I, I can see this happening. I can understand it. But one of the things that I kind of get pushback when I talk about things in this kind of way is for certain people, they don't have the support system. For certain people, they have, you know, everyone around them is telling them, get a set job, or do the things on the straight and narrow. Did you have that? Did you ignore that? Or was that not, not even an issue because you had built your life in such a way that people were, you know, supportive and, and, and thinking like you were? Um, I had some of that for sure. I think my family was always very encouraging, which is interesting because I come from a family of people who all had very stable government jobs and absolutely heard the, you know, government jobs might not pay as well, but you get a pension and there's a lot Mm -hmm. of stability in that. Um, So I definitely heard that message. And, you know, some folks in my family were teachers and were super helpful to me when I was going, okay, I'm doing this. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. So please help me. You know, (laughs) Um, I, I sat down with my my aunt, my godmother, um, who was an English teacher for many years and said, I'm teaching English. How the hell do I make a syllabus that makes any sense? And we sat at the kitchen table and walked through it. And so I think people around me were willing to support me to begin with, but I think it helped even more 
that I was willing to ask for help, that I was saying, hey, I'm going to do this. And I know I don't know everything. So please help me learn what I need to learn to be more successful and to do a good job at this. That's so exciting. Ah, I love this. Like the lessons that you're explicitly telling, implicitly telling, implicitly sharing, it's just so spot on. I know you folks listening to this are loving this episode. Amanda, Denver came into play. What What's going on here? So you left the teaching, the school, and also I'm going to back it up one second because Sandy's name came up twice and it's just like maintaining connection, folks. We, we know this, establishing connections, maintaining connections, asking, saying yes and figuring out, figuring it out, being really freaking good at whatever it is that you do. And part of that came in with the embracing being good at something and not shying away from that and being like, oh, of course, well, like, you know, this, this is just me and, and not really pushing forward with that, but, you know, pushing forward, doubling down, using that, the fact that it does come easy. Clearly, you're not a stranger to hard work. Just the ten, the two 10-hour days, I'm like still stuck on that. I'm like, your weekend was two 10-hour <laughs> days at this thing, like... As a 17-year-old, right? Yeah. I'm like, excuse me? Like, this, I, I get had, it. I had a slightly different senior year experience than some of my friends. I, I get it. I'm like, yes. Yes. This is where, this is where it comes from. So then where yeah. you're at the school and Denver comes in. Was that a hard move? Why was the move? What was the move like? Take us forward in the story. Yeah, that, that was a hard move. Um, mm. So I was married at the time. Um, my, my ex and I have since divorced, but you know, he had family in Denver. Um, he had older brothers who were out here. His parents were part-time outside of Denver. So up in the mountains outside of Boulder in a super cute little town called Nederland, Colorado. And we would come out and visit and we both really enjoyed Denver. We had both grown up in Florida. He grew up outside of Tampa. I had spent my whole life in South Florida. And, you know, we only half jokingly said that we were ready to have seasons other than hurricane season. Yes. That's about all you get in South Florida. <laughs> so we were ready for something new and different. And he was interested in pursuing a graduate degree. So he wanted to get his doctorate in um, school psychology. And the University of Colorado at Denver had a very reputable program for it. So there were a couple of different cities that we were looking at based on where there were programs that would fit for him. And Denver was the city that we really both agreed on and said, gosh, we we really enjoy it when we're out there. It's super different from South Florida. And if we go out there and are there for a couple of years while you get your graduate degree and we decide mm -hmm. it sucks and we hate it, then first case scenario, we just move back. That's it. That's so that's what we decided. We were both ready for a change, for an adventure of sorts. Um, and that was, that was how Denver came into play. Amanda, was by this time, were, had you made peace with, I guess I'll use that phrase, made peace with having gone to school for something and not using that degree? Like, did that pop up ever? Like, oh, but I have this degree. Or, I mean, you've had multiple jobs since then, but was there still in the back of your mind, like, maybe I'll come back to it, I'll circle back to this? Or you were just like, I'm fine with that. I'm moving forward to find my happiness. I was fine with it by then. Um, I definitely had that feeling at the beginning, right? As I was making the decision to step away from it, it was 
probably something similar to sunk cost, right? It's, yes. it's that yep. theory is, well, I've spent so much time doing this yep. and it's like, okay, well, I can spend more time and be miserable continuing to do it, even if I'm good at it, or I can just go do something else. Um, so I definitely felt that at first, but by the time we decided to move to Denver, I had come to an understanding with myself that just because I wasn't doing the job that I thought I was going to be doing did not mean that all of the time and effort that I spent learning to do the job wasn't valuable. And to this day, I will advocate that everyone should get to take a communications class at some point in their life because the ability to think and question critically is going to help you no matter what you're doing. The fact that I can ask someone a question, listen critically to their answer and be able to discern whether or not they're bullshitting me or dancing around the question or trying to push me in a different direction, a reframe is so helpful to know what follow-up questions to ask, right? To be able to listen to someone's answer and say, Ooh, there are like three other little nuggets there that I want to kind of dig into and to understand how all of the pieces fit together into a bigger picture. Those are always things that are going to serve me well, no matter where I am. Being a good writer is always going to serve me well, no matter where I am. So I had come to terms with the fact that the value from my degree and from my education was not in the title of whatever job I was doing. Thank you for highlighting this. I think that there's a good number of people in the audience. Again, I don't know fully who listens to the show, but if we attract what we are, then there's likely a good number of people in the audience who maybe didn't have words for what you just said. And so you articulated that like just so perfectly. Uh, And the ability to understand that that it's not sunk cost with that degree and the time that you spent and all of the experience you gained and actually how it, you know, provides a resource and a foundation for everything moving forward. Absolutely. Did you have a a job moving? Not that it matters. I kind of hate that question. Like, what did you have a job? Moving to Denver, (laughs) what was the plan for you? The plan was move to Denver and figure it out. Um, I do not recommend this. (laughs) (laughs) I will tell you, I do not recommend, especially if you're right at the tail end of a massive recession. Um, It was 2011. So there were not a lot of jobs to be had. It was a tough market. Um, We both moved out here and neither of us had a job lined up. It was, again, for better or worse, how am I going to make it happen? (laughs) So I had a really hard time finding a job, quite frankly. Um, I was applying for things. I was super frustrated because I was like, damn, I have a degree and I know I'm overqualified for this job and they won't even call me back. So it was, it was a frustrating time. And I think a lot of folks who were looking for a job at that time probably had um, some experience that they can relate to on that front. But, you know, it was always about how are we going to do this? We're going to figure it out. We're going to figure it out. Um, I was a substitute teacher for a hot minute when I got out here and really thought about it and said, "Mm, you know what? I don't think that teaching is the route that I want to go. I did it. I enjoyed so much about it, learned a ton from it, and I didn't think I wanted to run back into the classroom. So I started looking for communications jobs. It was a route that I hadn't thought about beforehand. 
but discovered, oh, a lot of people have communications roles on their teams, right? You know, whatever that looks like. Um, so I was applying for that. What does that look like? I actually, this is like outside of my understanding in this like traditional PT world. Like, I don't know if there's like that exists at the, at like at someone's clinic. What, what does that look like? Well, so think about a bigger provider, right? If you have um, a larger provider, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm in the Kaiser system, right? So I'm sure Kaiser has a massive team of comms people who are there to decide, okay, how are we going to talk about our company? How are we going to tell our story? Who are we going to share our story with, right? All of the big companies have to do the same thing that entrepreneurs have to do just on a greater scale, Mm -hmm. right? You have to figure out who your audience is and how you're going to connect with them and what stories you want to tell. So large organizations have to do that too. They just have teams of people who do it. And there's different titles for these roles? Oh, yeah. And those can vary tremendously. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And those are the jobs before this, actually, because you were saying, and I was like, I wonder, when you, it was 2011, recessions, like, you know, we just happened. The jobs you were applying for, were you looking at like, hey, just anything I can get? Or was it some of the strategic planning of like, if I can do this and I can go to that thing? No, I would love to tell you it was more strategic then. It really was, I moved out here without a job and now I have to pay rent and I'm living off of savings. So I need to pay the bills. No, Um, that's so valuable, man. That's so, (laughs) so valuable. Like, so, so valuable because that, that happens at times. And I'm thinking about people in the audience who are considering leaving positions and they're just like so miserable and like they can't say these things and they have bills to pay. That is so incredibly, incredibly valuable. So now that I understand kind of communications, what that is roughly, you're looking for jobs in that sector, realizing like, hey, I could do this and crush. What happened? I didn't find anything. And oh. Uh, yes. Um, not what I was expecting. Okay. Nope, nope, nope. Um, not what I was expecting either. So I really, I really had a hard time with it. I was frustrated and I said, okay, let me sit down and think about this. And here's where I started to get strategic. Right. I said, I moved out here. I don't have a network. That's really valuable. That's going to help me. That's what's helped me in the past. Right. I've gotten jobs because I've known people who either saw something directly or were willing to vouch for me. So I need to get a network out here. How in the hell can I do that? And I applied for an unpaid internship at the governor's office because I said, that's where things are happening. People who are in that office are going to know what's happening in Denver and across the state. They're going to know who's doing what and who I need to talk to. And if I can get in there and build some relationships and show them that I know what I'm doing, something's going to happen. I don't know what, but something's going to happen. So I interviewed for it. I distinctly remember sitting at a table in the basement of the state Capitol with Adrian, who is now a good friend of mine. And she looked at my resume and looked at me and she said, you know, this is unpaid, right? Are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> and I said, yeah. Valid question. And I was, a valid question. Yes. Yes. Um, and I was very straightforward with her and said, yeah, I am. I really need to get connected out here. I need yeah. the lay of the land. I, I need to understand how I can fit in here. And so they brought me in 
um, and I was doing some constituent services. That is the fancy government word for customer service. So I was okay. answering <laughs> email. Yes, yes. <laughs> constituent services, customer service. That's amazing. Um, <laughs> so I would answer the phones when people called the governor's office and wanted to talk or complain or tell someone how they felt about a particular policy or the fact that they got a parking ticket, um, you know, all kinds of stuff. We would respond to emails, um, just all sorts of stuff. And, you know, again, super grateful to be surrounded by an incredible group of humans. Um, they knew. Everybody understood. Constituent Services was housed in the same office as the governor's press team. And so his communications director and press secretary both knew me, both took the time to spend with me, to get to know me, to support me, to give me opportunities. So I started out answering the phone in the vault. Literally, I had a desk inside the vault in the Capitol, which is where they used to store the gold. Um, And by the time I left, I had a corner cubicle. And I was training interns as they came in, which was hilarious. Um, but I had the opportunity to really contribute on that team. They saw that I had the skill set. They saw that I was willing to work my ass off because I was showing up every day without getting paid. They gave me the opportunity to staff the governor. So when he would get interviewed um, for you know, a video for some event, they would let me help do the talking points for it. I would get to staff, you know, video appearances, interviews, that kind of thing. I got to do some help with policy research. How? Um, I mean, how how did it go from answering phones to this? When people see that they can trust you with more, they will give you the opportunity to do more. If they know that you want to and that you will show up and that they can trust you to do a good job, at least this group of people did. Mm-hmm. And in my experience, great yes. people do. They I see agree. that they will give you the opportunity to grow. So part of that, and also partly me saying, hey, how can I help? What else can I be a part of? Right? Mm-hmm. Letting people know that you want to do that and that you'll follow through when you have the chance is super powerful. Oh, this is so good. This is so good. How long, what was the timeline here? Just out of curiosity. I was there for about nine months. Holy um, smokes, it's so fast. Yeah. Well, it's not that fast when you're not making money and still True. paying rent. Um, all relative. <laughs> all relative. So, again, though, you know, those folks were really looking out for me. Um, they were on the lookout for any opportunity that they could put in front of me. At one point, the state of Colorado transitioned from using Microsoft products to using Google for government products. And as part of that, I got hired on, um, thanks to the folks in the governor's office knowing me, to be what they called a Google guru. So it was literally my job. I think they paid me like ten fifty an hour or something to help teach the governor and his senior staff members how to use Google products. So here's how to use your Gmail. Here's how to use Google Calendar. And that sounds really simple, but it becomes a little more complex when you're thinking about the demands of their needs, right? Like the person who does the scheduling for the governor is going to have a little more complex Google calendar than you and I might. Totally. Yeah. So that was an incredible opportunity. And again, that was me being able to translate the skills that I had 
into a new venue. So I was working with the Google team saying, hey, this is what the governor's office needs out of this product. This is how they need it to function. Here are the needs they need to have met. And saying, can we do that? How can we do that? And then talking to the Google people and them saying, well, here's our training. You know, how, how can we help translate this into language that people who aren't in the nerdy tech space will mm -hmm. understand? And being able to be a translator can be really powerful because you can help make those connections. This is like, so how long are you there doing that? Also, did you just like study up and you're like, okay, now I am, I am actually a Google Google guru. That's one of those, how just I have to learn this? <laughs> like... um, a little bit. I, you know, I already use Google products. Uh -huh. And so I was already familiar. I knew, you know, sort of the foundations of it. And so, yeah, it was a little bit of like, let me learn the technical stuff. But the biggest thing there was, again, being able to ask the right questions and get the clarity from people about what is it you actually need? Then I can go learn how to do that thing, right? Like I can sit down with somebody from the Google yeah, team and totally. say, hey, they need it to do X, Y, and Z. And can you show me how to make that happen? Um, that's, that's something I can learn. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, one of the most important things that I think anybody can have in their toolbox is the willingness and the ability to be resourceful. Yes. I tell people, yes. I can teach you damn near anything. I can learn damn near anything, yeah. but I can't really teach you how to be resourceful. Like <sighs> I can try. It's so true. But at a certain point, you have to have that willingness to think creatively um, and to go, all right, let's figure it out. <sighs> Absolutely. I knew I could figure it out. That yeah. was the thing. I knew oh. I could figure out who to ask and how to figure it out. So... How long were you with as a, uh, how long were you a Google guru? I guess that never leaves you technically, but <laughs> I'll, I'll hold that forever. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was probably the last two months or so of my time in the governor's office. Um, and of course the whole time I was still looking for full-time employment. Uh -huh. So finally I did find something. I took a job with a public relations firm in Denver. I was working in what they called their education practice. And so this was another exercise in figuring out what's not going to work. So mm -hmm. I thought, okay, well, PR is not really my thing, but again, I really got to pay the bills and this could be an opportunity, right? It's education. Um, I'll be working with their clients who are somewhere in the education space. And that ties into something that I care about, right? Because mm -hmm. I've had the teaching background and this and that. So I got there and after about eight weeks, I decided that we needed to break up sooner rather than later. Okay because it wasn't going to work. Yeah. Um, it was another one of those moments of going, Oh, I just don't love what I do. Um, I did not feel like how I was spending my time was aligned with my values. Mm -hmm. And so while it was good in terms of cool, I can pay my bills. I can be putting a little bit of money into savings again, I knew it's not how I wanted to feel about what I did every day. And so I said, all right, let's keep trying. And if I have to go be a barista somewhere, I'll go be a barista somewhere, but I'm not going to do this. Yes. Um, 
so I did that and learned that lesson. And that was scary too, right? Because at that point I had been looking for quite a while, tried this thing. It wasn't the right thing. And it would have been pretty easy to just go, oh my God, I'm never going to find anything. But that wasn't an option. It, It just wasn't an option. I had to, I had to find something. So that was the point where I got really lucky. And also the relationships that I had built started to pay off in big ways Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I jokingly say, I think I'm the last person who ever got a job just by applying cold for an online posting. Um, I, I was looking at jobs at the city and County of Denver. I had enjoyed my government experience and thought, okay, cool. Like I can, I can do comms somewhere. Um, this would be interesting. You know, I think I like this. It has that public service bend that was important to me because that's something that I had realized was a continuous thread through the careers that I had really enjoyed, right? Going from journalism to teaching into government, there was a public service tilt towards all of it. Yeah. So I was looking at jobs on the city and county of Denver website and saw one for a city council aide. And it said they were looking for someone to help do communications. And so I asked my folks at the governor's office if they knew anything about this council person. And I couldn't get anybody to say anything bad about him. They all said, oh, yeah, we heard about him. He, he sounds like a pretty decent guy. Um, and in the world of government and politics, that's not always the case. Exactly. So I thought, like, okay, well, this is a good sign. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I applied for the job and I asked my colleagues at the governor's office if I could put them down as references because I thought, surely this won't hurt. You know, exactly. if I can, like, if I can put those folks down, they can vouch <laughs> for me. Um, and of course they were happy to, you know, one of them called the council person and said, oh yeah, I know him. I'll call him and just tell him, I think you're great. And he should oh. really consider you. Yes. So again, being willing to ask for help and yes. accept it when it's offered. So I did that. Um, I went for my interview. Part of the interview was that you were supposed to read through the last couple of issues of the council person's newsletter and bring some feedback. And so I showed up to this interview and I had copy edited the oh, newsletter. Really, I'm yeah. salivating over here. I'm like, this is perfect. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. I had it marked up um, right. and gave, gave that person some feedback and said, Hey, I think this is a really good start. And I also really think that you could be forward looking. And I think that you have a lot of opportunity to do some other really cool stuff with this. Um, you know, it's so funny. So I will tell you this story. He showed me a video of this leadership program that he did for high school students, which I have now become a part of. That's one of my babies. I run that program now. Um, but he showed me the video and of course my background as someone who's been in journalism and taught TV production, I, I watched the video and in the middle of this interview, I went, Oh, how cool you had the kids do the video. And he was like, no, I paid someone for that. And I was like, oh shit, I didn't get this job. I'm like, oh no. (laughs) No way I got this job. Totally just, totally took myself out of the running. Um, But we laugh about that to this day because it's one of the things that he appreciated was my willingness to show up and say, we can do more. We can do this better. 
So that is how I got tied in um, to my current role. I was hired as a city council aide, and now I am basically chief of staff for that council person. Have been with him for eight and a half years, including two years Holy when he was council shit. president. And I'm thinking about what's next. So it, the journey continues. Shit. What? Hold on, back up one second. The program that you run for the kids that you're in charge of, what is that? So it's called Northeast Denver Leadership Week. And we take high school students from Northeast Denver and we basically drag them all around the Denver metro area every summer. We spend a full week with these kids. And the whole point is to show them people who look like them, come yeah. from backgrounds like theirs, who are in positions where they are driving change and they are super successful in not just the city and the state, but frankly, some of them nationally. So we want the students in our area to see what the opportunities Absolutely. are that are available to them in Denver. Absolutely. That's, yeah. That project that you, I'm guessing, I'm guessing clearly your, your role with him grew and evolved and changed during these eight years. What did that look like? It did. Um, and again, this is a case of someone seeing potential and being willing to give you room and a challenge to grow. So I started out as a council aide. I, my task essentially was to build a comms program for him. So he didn't really have a social media presence. Mm -hmm. um, you know, his newsletter was pretty basic. And he said, hey, this is your deal. Tell me what I need to do for us to make this better. What do we need mm -hmm. to do to build this out? And we did that. And over the course of time, he challenged me with new opportunities. At one point, he said, hey, I want you to be a manager. I want you to manage the rest of this team. And I was super resistant to that. I thought, holy shit, I don't want to manage people. I don't even know if I can. I didn't want to do it. And he said, mm, you're going to do it. It's going to be fine. Um, and come to find out, that's one of the things that I really enjoy because I'm able to teach and coach people and help them grow, which is like an amazing feeling yeah. for me. I get super excited when I see their success and their growth. So yeah, that has grown over time. Um, I am in charge of essentially relationships, strategy, and communications. So chief of staff is a role that has been in government for a long time, and it's starting to migrate out into the private sector. So you're seeing okay. a lot more private sector companies, particularly tech companies, okay. who are hiring chief of staff roles. Um, but it's basically your you know, right-hand person. Got it. So if he can't make it to an event or a meeting, I go. I'm, wow. I'm him version two. Um, and wow. it's really fun. So it's everything from city meetings to, you know, meetings with, um, neighborhood organizations, individuals, local businesses. I get to go out and be the face of our office in the community and build those relationships with people. Wow. When one, wow. The, the evolution here is f just phenomenal. I'm like thinking in my mind, closing my eyes right now, and I have like a, a picture that I've drawn, and I'm like, this is phenomenal. And you see, like in my mind, it's not a straight timeline. It's you can see how the previous things built 
on past ones and it like it's kind of circular because this came from that and this relation these relationships that were established here and this skill set from this thing back here like i'm imagining you you know going in there with a red marker i don't know what color you use but you know going in there with all the edits for for what he had had started with i'm like this is just incredible this fascinating when you say because it sounds like this is great to me i'm over here smiling i'm like this sounds so quick he's so happy when you say what's you know you're looking to see now what's next have you ever had any pushback where there's like i don't know where it's been presented to you that like if you're happy then you're satisfied and there's not you know they're not the need to be looking ahead have you ever had any pushback with that what are your thoughts around that well i'm trying to think if there have been specific instances of if you're satisfied stay and i can't but to be fair it might just be because i block those things out satisfied is not the bar for me yeah that's the thing satisfied is not the bar for me that's not what i'm aiming for i know i'm a learning person i'm a growth person Mm -hmm. i'm curious if i'm i mean i don't know that i am bored ever right because i just don't get bored right there with you (laughs) Um, i i will never run out of things that i want to learn about so yeah satisfied isn't the bar for me that's just not what i'm looking for not at all not at all so what is next then or what direction are we headed in i'm not sure yet you know the interesting thing about working for an elected official at least at the local level is that there is such a thing as term limits so my boss will be termed out of office in 2023 um and i am what's called at will. So I'm not guaranteed a job after he leaves. Um, And really thinking about, you know what, I love my job. Mm -hmm. It's been a wonderful opportunity for me. And I think there are other great opportunities for me. I think there are other ways I can continue to grow. So, you know, one of the things I did recently is start my own business. Thank you. Um, I was like waiting. I was like, wait, is she like not going to talk about this? Because oh, no, I absolutely you. am. Okay. I absolutely am. Yeah. <laughs> so the the impetus for this was how can I do more of what I love? Right. Thinking about the experiences that I've had, the projects that I've worked on, where I feel myself light up, where mm-hmm. I walk out of a meeting and I'm like, let's go. That was awesome. Um, I was just part of a you know, strategic sort of rethinking team for the fire department here about how they could improve their fire academy. We had a four hour meeting one day and most people hear four hour meeting and they're like, oh "Oh my God, you would have to roll me out of there on a cart. I walked out of there ready to go. I was so excited. And so, you know, thinking about how can I do more of what I love? How can I find those projects that I get really excited about. How can I help more people get shit done, quite frankly, because that's what I love, you know, help people get really clear about what it is that they're after, help them get really strategic about how they're going to go after it and then go do it. So those things are the things that are super fun for me. And I wanted a way to do more of that. In the spirit of don't burn the ships, right? Health insurance is a beautiful thing. I love having the the regular paycheck, 
And I love having the opportunity to sort of grow this and build this a little bit and say, okay, let me take on this project and let me take on that project. And does it turn into something on its own one day? Maybe that would be awesome. I would love that. Um, But I'm also not just going to make a huge leap for the sake of Mm -hmm. making a huge leap. Yes, 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 yes. Can you speak a little bit more? One of the things I love about having this platform, having this show is that I get to bring dope people on, talk to them, and then strongly encourage them to plug the shit out of whatever it is they're doing. Can you speak more? What is the name? How can people, like, are you taking clients? Who are the clients? Do you have a website? Tell me all the things. <laughs> Tell me all, every uh, other thing. Yes. And thank you for being an inspiration to do the damn thing. Oh, I will, I will start there. So it is the IO group and I wanted something that was not just my name because mm-hmm. hopefully one day it grows into something bigger that involves yes. more people. Um, so the website is theiogroup.com. That's a Y O. Um, and it's really, you know, what you heard me just say, which is get clear get strategic and get going. So I have, I've been super lucky to work with a ton of different folks. I mean, it's everybody from elected and appointed officials to government agencies, to a couple of athletes, even some entrepreneurs, folks who have a big goal Mm -hmm. and they're like, I want to do this thing. And they're not really sure how to get started on it. Love it. This is where the journalism skills come in, right? Let's sit down and get really clear. That's where the strategy brain comes in. All right, let's figure out how we're going to get this done. What are the tools that we need to put in your toolbox? What are the things that are already at your disposal that you're maybe not leveraging in the way that you could, right? Let's create a plan. And then let's get it done. So yes, I'm absolutely taking clients. I would love to talk to anybody who thinks that I might be able to help them. Um, And quite frankly, if I'm not your girl, I probably know someone who is, if it's somewhere in this space. So um, I'd love to talk. Shoot me an email. My email is on the website. It's amanda at theiogroup.com. Or you can find me on the socials. And where's that on the socials? The socials. It's Amanda Schultz. So at Amanda Schultz. And my last name, I will spell because it's a little tricky. It's S-C-H-O-U-L-T-Z. So at Amanda Schultz. And that's on Instagram, Twitter. Um, You can find me on Facebook. Any of the ways. All of the ways. Say hi. Even if you don't think we're going to work together right now, reach out and say hi. I'd love to meet you. Say hi. That's it. Uh, of course, folks, all of those things will be linked in the show notes. Thank you, Courtney. So if you're driving or anything like that, or you bookmarked it and you want to come back to it, all of the things will be there so you can reach out because, ah, man, this is so, so good. So before I let you go, I'm looking at the time, but before I do that, and before I ask the final question I ask everybody, uh, can you just speak briefly about the Jeep and the, t- and the cats? <laughs> yes, the Jeep. Um, I have a 2017 four-door oh, Jeep Wrangler. Yes. Her yes, name yes. is Alice. And because I live in Denver, I can sometimes take the top off on days when there's snow on the ground yeah. because you know how it is, That's right? It could be oh, 75 degrees and there could still be snow on the ground in the mountains. 
Um, I love it. It's so much fun. I absolutely smile every time I get up in that car. Um, and it's, it's just a blast. And frankly, that is my Colorado car. So I, (laughs) I don't so much camp the way that a lot of Colorado folks do. I have done the backcountry camping thing. Not super my jam. So Alice is also my tent. That was the beauty of the four-door version. You fold the seats down, you pop a little mattress in the back, and you're good to go. Um, So I I love Alice. And I have two kitties, um, Henry and Ella. So I'll have to actually, Shantae, I will send you a photo of Henry because we were chatting just before you hit record. And he, like, knew the moment that I got on the line with you he sat himself on the desk and just stared at the laptop screen. Like it's he was ready to, to make his appearance. Yes, <laughs> yes, time. absolutely. So Henry and Ella, um, they're adorable little weirdos. I love them so much. I don't know what I would do without them. And they keep me on my toes. So they are the best. Dude, life sounds, life sounds good. Is life good? Life is good. Life, life is good. good. Life sounds really, really, really good. Oh, I got actually one more question. It literally just popped into my head. What made you email me and be like, this is this is who I am? Mm. So this is one of the things that I've learned in life is I never want to feel like I wish I had shown up more. Yeah. It's one of the things that I think about when I'm deciding how to handle a situation is going, I don't want to look back on this and wish that I had been braver or wish that I had just reached out, right? I don't want to wonder what would have happened if. So when I heard your your podcast episode, which frankly was one with James Olivia. Um, uh, yes. Yes, that was amazing. Yes. Um, and you said, you know, I don't really know who listens. I thought, well, gosh, if I ran a podcast, I would totally want to know who my audience was. I mean, frankly, if I put anything out in the world, I want to know who my audience is, right? It's real helpful. Um, So I said, oh, well, I'll just email her and say, hey, here's who I am. Thank you so much for doing what you do because it's amazing, right? Like I loved this thing that you brought into the world, this conversation with James Olivia. Um, So acknowledge that, right? Everybody loves hearing that what they do matters. Especially when you're in a a situation where it's a podcast and you're sort of broadcasting out into the great faceless internet. Um, But creating that human connection. I have never regretted making a connection. I have regretted not reaching out to make a connection, but I have never regretted making the connection. What was the worst thing that was going to happen? You would ignore me? You would write back and it would be some like jerk email? (laughs) Okay. You know, like I didn't feel like the chances were great that that was going to happen. Could you um, imagine? How dare you write to me? It was a rhetorical right. question. Right. Uh, no, you're the wrong audience. Stop listening. <laughs> no. So it it really was just me thinking. God, I really appreciate it when people reach out to me and tell me that they enjoy what I'm doing or that they find value in what I'm doing, yes. right? If, if I know what people value, I can do more of that. That's what I want. I want to provide value for people. So if I know what's doing it, I can do more of that. Same. So I, that's what really made me make the decision. Dude, I appreciate it so much. Like so, so, so much. I was like, whoa, this is amazing. And you know, now here we are having a conversation that has flown by. I was, you know, I, I always take like a little picture in the middle and 
put on Instagram and I'm like, holy shit. It was like way farther into the conversation than I realized. I, I don't really look at the time and like kind of I'm not sitting there as we're talking like end, end, end. So I happened to pull my phone up to pull the thing and I'm like, dude, it's already been that long. Like this is, this has been a phenomenal conversation, Amanda. So I'm going to ask, because I am now looking officially at the timer. Uh, I'm going to ask the official last question, which is, is there anything else that you'd like to leave the people with? And of course you can say no. No, I love that you asked this question. This is a very journalist thing to do, by the way. My favorite question as a journalist at the end is, um, what else do you want to share? What else do you want people to know? So this is this is a great question, and I love it. And, you know, of course, I've listened to all of your podcasts, so I knew you were going to ask this, and I was really thinking about it. Um, one of the things that I do is I help teach a class, an undergrad class, about public service and leadership. And... One of the big takeaways that I always hope my students walk out the door with that, frankly, I think is relevant for everyone, no matter what you do, is that people don't resist change. They resist loss. And so if we can remember that when we're engaging with people, whether it's professionally, whether it's personally, wherever the space is that you're functioning, if we can remember that people are resistant to loss and to try to understand and acknowledge what that loss is that they're afraid of, I think we can get a lot farther with one another. Man, that's so good. That reframe is so fucking good. Dang. I'm literally sitting right here and I'm like, do I want to put that on the little teaser there or do I want to let it drop and just blow people's minds? Ah, it's so good, Amanda. Just this conversation has been so much, so good, and I'm so grateful. You know, I, I I read some of Ramit's stuff, and he talks about how people, especially when you're in a position where that people would consider traditionally successful, these people are looking for people to talk to. And I've brought actually, you know, PR people on who have said like, you know, the the news is looking for stories. Like you can look to help people out. And I'm very much been feeling that way for the past, how do you know how many months of you're looking for good conversations, looking for new conversations. Uh, the ones I have are great. It's a both and situation. And this conversation has been so fulfilling, so nourishing. So. Oh, I'm so just, glad to hear that. This is really, really good. Just on so many levels of everything you've said is just so interesting. Number one. Uh, but to to know that you are in the audience, which means there's other people like that as well. And to, there are totally to are. And all like, of you should reach out and tell Shantae who you this are. This is amazing. And what you love, why you listen. This is amazing to hear and to be privy to the conversation, be part of the conversation, and now have you in my network and to be able to like dig in deeper. I'm like, this is great. This was a phenomenal, phenomenal conversation and episode. And I am just extremely grateful, Amanda. Thank you for reaching out. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for showing up here in the way that you did. Just that's thank you. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I am super grateful. I'm honored to be the first listener uh, turned guest. And next time we we can talk about hockey and I'll tell you about how I decided when I turned 30 to learn how to play ice hockey. So we'll we'll have some more fun conversations. <laughs> what position? 
oh no, this is like beer league. We don't do position. Position okay, okay. is Got it. not goalie and don't accidentally <laughs> hurt yourself or anyone else. That's the position. Very, very fair. We will talk about that next time. Ah, so good. Amanda, just thank you again. This is smiling ear to ear. Thank you. This is so good. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. I'm grateful for the conversation. And I know we'll have some more good ones in the future. Absolutely. This is so good. You folks listening, thank you. We both know you could have been doing anything and you chose to listen to us. And this is a longer episode. So if you made it this far, just an extra double, triple, quadruple, 11 billion times, thank you. I am not going to ask for any likes, subscriptions, anything like that. If you want to do it, won't stop you. But I'm really strongly going to ask with this one. This is a special episode. If you liked this episode, if it resonated with you, do me a solid and share it with somebody. There's just so many pearls in this. this, There's so much to be taken away from this episode. So if you liked it, if you loved it, do me a solid and give it a share. All right. Officially wrapping it up. Until next time, friends. Amanda and Maestro.